Welcome to Category 5 Technology TV. It's episode number 540. So nice to see you again this week. And tonight we're going to be tackling a couple of pretty in-depth viewer questions. Things like, how can we communicate via host name as opposed to IP address within a Zen server virtual network? Uh, we're also going to be answering a question about that 1080p video player that we were looking at last week. And uh, that's going to be of interest to you as well. Um, stick around for that. And uh, we're going to learn about a book that I don't know the name of. So, <laughs> a book that I know the name of. Yes. Stick around. We'll be right back. This is Category 5 Technology TV. Recordings are trusted only to solid-state drives by Kingston Technology. Revive your computer with improved performance and reliability over traditional hard drives with Kingston SSDs. Category5.tv streams live with Telestream Wirecast and Nimble Streamer. Tune in every week on Roku, Kodi, Plex, and other HLS video players. For local showtimes, visit Category5.tv. Category5.tv is a member of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. Cat5.tv slash TPN. And the International Association of Internet Broadcasters, Cat5.tv slash IAIB. And welcome to the show. This is episode number 540 of Category 5 Technology TV. So nice to have you here. And we've got more of your viewer questions tonight that we're going to tackle. Now, last week was our first in a while viewer question extravaganza. Right. And we actually didn't get through the entire mailbag. Nor do we. When we do a viewer question extravaganza, because we love the questions, yeah. we get really great questions. I feel like every question could be its own standalone Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So tonight, uh, we're going to help out some of you who sent in your questions uh, both before last week's episode and uh, since that time. We're going to see what we can do to to help you out. And uh, we've got a new set tonight. As you can see, this is kind of cool. It's very comfortable and awesome. Yeah, it's like, oh, all right, you can handle the show for us, Sasha. I've got this. I'm just going to sit back and relax. And so now for the next hour, we'll be talking about everything I've watched on TV. There you go. (laughs) <laughs> All the delightful meals that you can make with your pressure cooker. It's great, actually. <laughs> I didn't mean to trigger that. <laughs> hey, head on over to torrent.category5.tv. I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, but it is so great to see that so many people are downloading and seeding. We can see that there is somebody downloading right there, three different seasons of Category 5 TV, and we've got some seeds, which means people are able to download Category 5 Technology TV uh, torrents, bit torrents, um, very, very, very quickly. So you can get entire seasons of Category 5 shows absolutely free, and you can download those using BitTorrent. Right. It's torrent.category5.tv. Just a, a kudos and a hello and a thank you to those who are seeding. That's right. If you're seeding, you're part of the solution. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's such a cool mechanism for us because yeah. we offer this show for free, and uh, we want people to be able to get their hands on it, and one of the ways to do that is through BitTorrent. Mm-hmm. Uh, it decentralizes the host so that all the people who are seeds, we use the word seeds, mm-hmm. um, those are the people who have downloaded the entire thing and right. are then sharing it from their computers. So those seeds could be anywhere in the world. So wherever you are, your computer is going to connect to the seeds that are closest to you and that are going to give you the best speed and then download chunks of that data until you've got the entire season. I 
love the concept. I love it. I still don't completely get it, but I love it. <laughs> Let's just put it this way. There are hundreds of hours of free broadcast video that are available to you to download and watch at your leisure on your own Plex server. You can put them on your media player and you can sync them to your to your devices and be able to watch them without an internet connection. I think it's a great opportunity too for people who have limited bandwidth. Right. If you want to share the show and you know, you know, your friend who would absolutely love Category 5 or New Every Day, uh, they may... Uh, they may not have the kind of internet connection that you or I have. So you can download it through the torrents uh, and uh, put it on an external hard drive and ship mm-hmm. it to them, a flash drive or something like that. So many cool opportunities to share Category 5 TV. Love it. Can you believe? I don't... I can't be sure yet. And Maybe chat room, you can help me decide. I can't be sure if I need to be proud of this or how to approach this, but I, Robbie Ferguson, host of Category 5 Technology TV, yes, tech blogger, yeah, guru of sorts, <laughs> of sorts, broadcaster, webcaster, that's right, DIY dork, and all-around great guy, I like to think so. I am the number one bald nerd in the world. Number one bald nerd. Number one bald nerd. Second to none. This came about this came about as a bit of a joke. Because I was providing support for someone and and I I kind of humorously said, I'm pretty sure you could find me if you did a Google search for bald nerd. Uh Uh-huh. And then they said no. No. And then they said And then I was like, I wonder if. And I tried it. And so, chat room, head on over to Google <laughs> and just do a quick Google search for bald nerd. Wow. Whoa! There you are. 719,000 results here in Canada and the very first picture. I did a search for bald nerd and the very first picture that came up on Google is me. That's awesome. That is really great. Should I be proud of this? Um. (laughs) Mom, you'll never believe I made the first page of Google. (laughs) Get on your computer, do a quick search for bald nerd. Yep. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty proud of you. In order to pull my picture up, you actually have to Google search my name. I don't have like a... And newly uh, married, I guess it's, it's more difficult at this point. I wonder... Can you pull up Sasha Rickman and see what happens? Should we see what happens if we do a search for Sasha Rickman? Because Sasha Dermatis worked just fine. Will I even show up? In a search for Sasha Rickman, well, it's just spinning, Sash. It's just finding all of them. Oh, it doesn't know what to do. I'll tell (laughs) (laughs) you. I I was watching a a YouTube, not YouTube, a Netflix show, and it was... Like a really random one. It was called Rotten. It's like a. It's about all different food industries. Mm-hmm. Not a huge big deal to the story, but <laughs> in one episode, it's about the cod fisheries, and they pan out, and there's these boats, and one of them is called the Sasha Lee. Oh yeah. Which is a huge big deal for me because I've never. What's your middle name? 
my first name is hyphenated. Oh, your first name my is actually name Sasha is Lee? Sasha Lee. And the reason why oh, I don't okay. go by Sasha Lee is because when I introduced myself when I was younger as like, hi, my name yeah. is Sasha Lee, everybody always thought my name was Ashley. Oh, so right. So I dropped it because I was done explaining that my name isn't Ashley, it, which is funny. I now work with an Ashley. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> my name is not Ashley. It's Sasha Lee. Now it's just Sasha. And there's a boat named after you. And there's a boat. Great. Sasha Lee boat. Okay. I'm curious, you know, get onto Google and do a search for, um, for Bald Nerd and see. It's interesting. Google's cool because it's geolocated. So I sometimes wonder, is it because I'm in Barrie and I'm searching in Barrie and it geolocates? It's like when you do a search for pizza. Right. It doesn't give you results for Boston. Or Italy. Oh, it gives you results for the local pizzerias, right? Right. So wherever you are, do a search for Bald Nerd and tell us where, where I come up. <laughs> Probably number one. I hope so. I hope so. All right. We've got to take a very, very quick break. When we come back, we've got more of your viewer questions that you've sent in. If you haven't got yours in yet, head on over to our website. It's category5.tv. And from there, you'll be able to send it by clicking on Contact Us. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back with your questions after this. Jeff Weston. Yaman. You're building a brand new beautiful website. What? Aren't you? No. Am I? You're a terrible actor. What? This is where acting comes into play. Oh, I didn't know we were acting. You're supposed to act. Okay, fair enough. I'm building a really cool website. Are you building a really cool website? Just because Jeff is confused doesn't mean you have to be. Visit cap5.tv slash dreamhost to sign up for unlimited web hosting for your website with unlimited email accounts, MySQL databases, the latest version of PHP, WordPress, and more, and even a free domain name registration. It's less than $6 per month, so sign up today. cat5.tv slash dreamhost. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Sasha's excited because we just did a search for Sasha Rickman, and guess who came up? But uh, Sasha Rickman. I'm the number one Sasha Rickman. She is the number one Sasha Rickman. So if you do a search, and and Google's acting finicky for us, it's probably our internet here. You came up number one. (laughs) Yay! Yay! Go team, we're winners. Way to go. Way to go. (laughs) Apparently, BP9 says the bald nerd is number one on DuckDuckGo. What? So I'm oh. pleased about that. That's from the USA. Beautiful. Um, Sasha Rickman uh, is numbers one through six, says Alpec, who's joining us in the chat room here. Good golly. Yes. And to tell you the truth, okay, so when my name was Dermatis, which wasn't that long ago, I never met another Dermatis that I was not related to. If yeah. I, I, so I knew them all in okay. here. I have met so many Rickmans. It's more popular name, is it? Evidently, I didn't even realize, but it's a really popular name. Like Rickmans that don't know Dave. Because if somebody says their name is, you know, whatever, Mrs. Rickman, I'm like, oh, do you know Dave? No. Oh, that's weird. (laughs) Good thing I didn't marry a Smith. (laughs) Yeah, I did. 
I did. You did marry him? Yeah, I, I changed her name to Ferguson, but that's, that's, it, so it worked out. It worked out. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, back to more viewer questions. Submit your questions via our website, category5.tv. Sasha, I want to kind of pretext the first one that we have here. Okay. Because last week, Old Salt actually submitted a question about his laptop. Right. And I was like, okay, well, the one thing that we knew is that Old Salt had put new RAM or more RAM in his laptop. I think, you know, run a mem test. That was my suggestion. Get in there. And the and what happened is, is well, C128D was watching live. Right. And commented during the live show. Now, of course, because it was live, now that comment is in the abyss of the internet because it's not available on the on-demand video. But I was able to capture it. I was able to grab it and copy and paste because C128D, uh, Old Salt, heads up, um, seems to know uh, a fair bit more about that specific model of laptop than I personally do. I was looking at it with more of a generic uh, view. Uh, So looking at that, Sasha, would you like to read um, C128D's comment? And if you get hung up on any tech specs, then just throw it over to me. Just be like, Robbie, what's that? What is that? Like 5400 RPM? What the... That's actually coming up. Yeah, it is. All right, take it away. (laughs) Regarding Old Salt's Acer Aspire E15 laptop, this model is geared towards long battery life, not performance. It's a dual-core, four-thread CPU, and yes, it does have hyper-threading and virtualization, but not turbo boost. Mm. Okay, so it also comes with a very slow 5400 RPM spinning hard drive. The reviews I've seen on this particular laptop is that it doesn't perform well and it is slow to boot up, to slow to open files, and even slower to transfer copy files. One reviewer mentioned that it would sometimes take seconds before a key press registered. The idea that it should be pretty fast is not true at all. Based on what he had stated and what I've read on these laptops, I believe that an SSD would have been a better upgrade than the additional RAM. Okay. I, I seriously doubt that it is the RAM as even the slowest DDR4 so dims would be close to the speed limit of the UEFI of that laptop. I don't understand that. <laughs> the the BIOS has a feature called UEFI which is uh, like part of the way that it interacts with the hardware, the operating system and so on. Okay. Um, I'm not familiar with the specifications specifically of this laptop. Obviously, C128D um, knows more me. about this specific one. Yes. So, Old Salt, listen up, okay, because he seems to know what he's talking about. As far as, is this meme test? Mem test. Mem test. That's the one I recommended last week. Yes. Because anytime I've had trouble with RAM, yes. run a mem test and it will tell you if that's okay. the problem. That's right. And so I still, I still hold to that. I still think that's a good thing to try because of the fact that you did upgrade the RAM. I think it's a good idea to run a mem test and just make sure. Not so much that it's, because C128D's approach is like, well, it's going to meet, it's going to work with it. But what if it's defective? Right. Right. So not, not necessarily will it work with that laptop if it has this specification, but what if the RAM that was put in there is defective? In that case, a mem test would reveal that. Right. Mm-hmm. And if not, um, I mean, he doubts that it's going to help. As he states, the problem he has is with Linux. Although he doesn't specifically state so, I'm betting that he isn't able to even boot Linux so mem test is out. The UEFI is locked down to some extent, so you might need to set a supervisor password in the UEFI in order 
to be able to change to legacy mode to boot into most Linux distros. If I'm not mistaken, early UEFI versions won't work with Linux, so you might want to update to the latest version and then memtest and other Linux distros. Wow. He might need to change with the touchpad settings from advanced to basic mode. Okay, and we, we did encounter that with your... Remember when we did the gaming PC, we had to make some changes to set legacy mode in the UEFI in the BIOS? Yes. Um, and I had some trouble with a particular system that I was working with, um, and I couldn't get Debian to install because of compatibility with the UEFI, um, but mm -hmm. Ubuntu worked mm -hmm. and worked great. So maybe looking at a couple of different distros, trying some different distros, maybe the answer. Um, right. If... If, as um, C128D is hinting to, maybe it's just not compatible with that version of the UEFI. Right. And maybe you've bitten off more than you expected. <laughs> right. With this particular laptop. I can't imagine. Like, the one thing that really stands out to me in this is how slow it is as far as, like, registering keys. That's nuts. That's, yeah. That would drive me absolutely bananas. Because even when I'm... Say I'm typing an email and my computer's yeah. just a little bit laggy. And so, you know, you type and then the whole word pops up afterwards. Sure. I can't handle that. And as you know, I'm a slow typist. So could you imagine? <laughs> it would be insane. It would just be a whole paragraph. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I already get frustrated with computers that can't keep up. But imagine that. You'd be like that sloth um, in Zootopia. Have you seen that movie? Yes. That's what I love that character. I love that character. Incidentally, just not to, not to sidetrack, but it is important to our community. Mikey Mike 2018 uh, is in Florida and says, uh, I come up number one as bald nerd in Florida. This is We're not searching for Robbie Ferguson. No, bald nerd and Robbie Ferguson appears. That's a pretty huge deal. I wonder what my, my wife is going to think of that. So is she Mrs. Bald Nerd? You should probably just get her a t-shirt. Yeah. I'm married to the bald nerd. Uh, BP9 says, uh, this is for Orange, uh, orange Man, uh, or pardon me, Old Salt. Starts with an O. I'm having one of those moments. Uh, hello, Orange Man, if you're watching. And hello, Old Salt, also. Uh, BP9 uh, directs this comment and says, I had to turn off Secure Boot in order to install Zubuntu on a new six-core Dell desktop. Okay. So maybe that's another option. Get into that BIOS and make some changes to the settings and see what you can come up with. Right. Remember um, last week we looked back at the AGP Tech 1080p video player yes that was a cool little device you can find more about it at cat5.tv slash agptek and what's cool about it is it's a standalone player that you can just plug into a tv and plug in a usb flash drive and, and it plays the video for you at 1080p so you could download all of cat5 yeah oh yeah torrent, yep and then put it on a flash drive and play it our videos are uh, 1080p H.264, so it would play absolutely smashingly. Flawless. And I actually incidentally demonstrated that last week yes. without even planning to, but that file was just a download off of our website. Oh, um, well, Just there you go. so it plays perfectly. Yeah, you could do that. Um, C Style DJ um, responded to our response of the feature. 
Right. Um, with Thanks so much for the video. This seems like a pretty cool device. I'm looking for a standalone SD card audio player to connect to my hi-fi system that I'm building in order to play high resolution and high bit rate audio. I really don't need the video portion of it since it's going to be connected to just stereo equipment for music listening. Would this be a good option or is there something else out there that might be a little more high-end but not too expensive that simply plays SD cards and has audio output? Hmm. So this is a video player. Right. It is built for video playback and because of that, the audio portion of it goes out through the HDMI. Right. So you need a TV or some kind of decoder in order to access the audio from that device. Sasha, can you think of uh, a possible, I'm just putting this out there, can you think of uh-huh. a possible better solution for music playback that uses a small device and is able to be plugged into a PA system or a stereo system? I would personally use a Raspberry Pi. Is that what Good I answer. say? Good answer. Because <laughs> I would. Um, I would download Volumio and, and, and put that on because that's the only thing I would know to put on a Raspberry Pi to play music. I am so honest. proud of her right now. <laughs> so. We're going back to episode numbers 415 and 416 and 425. Um, Check out our website, Category5.tv. Do a quick search for Volumio. Mm -hmm. And it's spelled V-O-L-U-M-I-O. And you'll see Raspberry Pi Music Server Part 2 and Part 3. Not sure why Part 1 isn't there. But (laughs) um, you can surely find it. It must be 415 because this is Episode 416. So with that, we in fact created from a Raspberry Pi a nice little uh, media player. Yeah. And how's that been serving you? Swimmingly. Yeah. It's amazing. We had the SD card die. That happened, but it just just happened. So how long how many years did that last? Well, that was twenty fifteen that we built it. Right. So two years with a little Sony SD card. Now I put a Kingston SD card in now it. Now it's gonna last so we can forever. Ex- oh yeah, we can expect that it, it will be there after the the dawn of manca- mankind. And for somebody from me, I am um, neither bald nor a nerd. Um, it's very intuitive. I can use it with ease. So how do you how do you manage the music playlist? Like how do how do you control the music? Like do you do you have to go to the Raspberry Pi and connect a TV to it and a keyboard and mouse? No. It just pops uh you did that, Robbie. I, I don't know, know actually. <laughs> <laughs> I made I, I I made a link on your desktop to the IP address, but it is just your web browser. Oh. It, it loads it up in Chrome. Yeah, okay, yeah. And it I just press a hot key button on my keyboard yeah. and it pops up. <laughs> so C Style DJ really want to pull you toward volumio.org and it is a fantastic um, distro for Raspberry Pi. And you can upgrade your Pi to have lossless audio if you want, and it's compatible. You can do all that kind of stuff. But with a Pi 2, let alone a Pi 3, it works smashingly well. It loads up your media library. This is their website, volumio.org. It's a free application. Download it. Install it on a Pi. There's what it looks like on a computer versus a phone versus a tablet. It's mobile responsive. It gives you access to your playlists. It lets you set everything up. They've got hardware there. Um, 
fantastic. Volumio is absolutely exceptional. Yeah. So as a media player. I love it. I have no complaints. Mm. Through the holiday season, we flip to Christmas music. I just flip the playlist. After afterward, we go to our regular rotation playlist. Yeah. It's easy. Yeah, they're just basically playlists that you drag and drop music into. Um, so you can have um, the music stored on an external hard drive. Mm-hmm. You can have it stored on a NAS. You can have it stored on a server and connect it through CIFS. Um, you can have it... I, I don't even... They. It's continued to grow since we did this back in uh, in 2015. I wouldn't be surprised if it has access to, uh, to things like Spotify. And yeah, it does. Airplay, Spotify, web radio, UPnP and DLNA, uh, plus it has MP3 and FLAC playback, uh, Wave, AAC, ALAC, and DSD, and much more, it says. Um, so can't go wrong. Check out volumeo.org, C-Style DJ, and let us know what you think. Yeah. And get your pie. Head on over to cat5.tv slash pie, and you'll be able to order that Raspberry Pi unit through us, and that's a way you can support us for uh, helping direct you um, to the right thing and, and, and for enjoying the show, and hopefully it's something that really works out well for you. Mm-hmm. We've got uh, more viewer questions. We do have to take a quick break, and uh, we will be right back, so stick around. You've got mad skills, now hone them. Learn new skills or improve your existing ones with online video tutorials and training from lynda.com through our special link at cat5.tv slash lynda. Learn software, technology, creative and business skills you can use today to help you achieve your professional goals. Join today and start learning. We'll give you this chance to try it absolutely free with unlimited access to all of the courses. Sign up now for free, cat5.tv slash linda. Welcome back. This is Category 5 Technology TV. It's great to have you here. This is episode number 540, and that means there have been 540 weeks of Category 5 Technology TV. So if you're if you're digging this show, if you want to get to know us, the crew, and some of the folks that have come before us, um, head on over to our website, category5.tv. You'll be able to watch back episodes. As I mentioned at the top of the show, you can download us in BitTorrent, and, uh, and you can also catch us on YouTube and pretty much anywhere else we're on plex roku cody we're yeah you can subscribe to rss feeds facebook live facebook live that's right getting down with the book face i know even youtube live now yeah if if you're watching on youtube live hey give us a a like that's right and a subscribe and if you're watching on um facebook live give us that thumbs up right and say hi um Incidentally, speaking of, if we can just uh, hit, hit this real quick, mm-hmm. YouTube is making some major changes to its policies when it comes to monetization. Okay, so what does that mean for us? For us, it means that some of our smaller shows, The Pixel Shadow, right. New Every Day, mm-hmm. some of these shows that we produce... On a, on a, like, New Every Day is a weekly show right. that costs money to produce, and we, we faithfully 
produce that and broadcast it every single week. Um, we also have the Pixel Shadow, which is a, a semi-regular show. Uh, we haven't brought in an episode since the end of season two, but it's coming again. Right. Um, so we produce these. So these smaller shows that have under a thousand individual subscribers on YouTube, they are going to lose monetization. So you have to have over a thousand in order to have monetization. That's right. And, New rules. And so it's just a subscribe, right? Yeah, just clicking that subscribe button. That's how you get monetized? No. Oh. However, that's how you increase, that's how you as a viewer are able to increase the number of subscribers to our programming. And uh, YouTube has created this new rule that says unless you have 1,000 or more subscribers on the channel, mm -hmm. you cannot make money from that channel. So keep in mind shows like New Every Day that you're watching on Roku or however you're watching it. Right. Um, and maybe not subscribing on YouTube because of the fact that you're watching it some other way, maybe through the website. Right. Uh, if you're watching Category 5 Technology TV or if you want to check out linuxtechshow.com, which are cut up clips of Category 5 TV, right. um, then please subscribe. Mm -hmm. Hit that subscribe button. Category 5 Technology TV and linuxtechshow.com are not in any way threatened by this, um, right. by the changes in the monetization, because we have, um, I think we've got about 8,000 subscribers on Category 5 Technology TV and 9,500 on linuxtechshow.com. Right. So we're cool. But we'd like to hit that 10,000 mark yes, before would. the end of the month and then see what happens. <laughs> But new, new every day, and, and the Pixel right. Shadow in particular are are under threat from that. So, and to those who are broadcasting on YouTube and wondering, you know, well, this is really discouraging for for smaller broadcasters. Like yeah. the Pixel Shadow is my daughter's show, right? And she's twelve. Mm -hmm. How discouraging is it that YouTube says you're not good enough? Uh. You're not you're not doing well enough. And it, yeah, and it makes sense. I understand that they they want to only put advertising on popular shows, but quite frankly, not a lot of our viewers subscribe to our shows on YouTube no, because that's not the way to watch. That's not how they're watching exactly. Yeah. So it wouldn't make those of you who are granted. Thank yeah. you, thank you for those subscribes and thanks for watching on YouTube. But it's a it's a comparatively small number mm -hmm. compared to RSS feeds and Roku in particular. Roku there are twenty thousand views a week, so right. a huge difference versus the maybe five thousand views on YouTube. <laughs> except if, for that one video. Except for that one video. <laughs> Got to do another one of those. Yeah, that was right. fun. That was fun. Okay. So another question for us. This one comes to us from Chris Kevin Lee. And Chris Kevin Lee says, Hi, Robbie. Wonder if you can help me, please. I've got two computers running as home servers. First one is a Zen server with an IP address of 192.168.1.2. And the host name is Zen Server 1. Okay. If I try to ping Zen Server 1, it comes back with ping unknown host ser unknown." host Zen Server 1. Then if I run NSLOOKUP 192.168.1.2, it tells me that the host name is the host name is computer2, but I can ping <laughs> 192.168.1.2 and it's fine. Same for the second server, but its IP is 192.168.1.2. 
168.1.3. Right. And the host name is Chakotay, and nice. it's resolving to computer. The two servers have static IPs. However, my main computer is called Janeway, and that's fine. I'm guessing that has something to do with DNS, right? So I tried. One, factory reset on the router and an eight-port managed switch. Two, clear DNS cache with sudo slash etc. We're really putting her to the test here, Chris. Slash init.d <laughs> slash nscd. I hope I'm doing this right. Uh, restarting nscd. Yes. Yeah. Terminal outputs. Okay. Um, three, opened Windows VM, pinged Chakotay, no problem. Okay. Four. So from within the virtual machine, it's able to ping Chakotay, which is the host name of 192.168.1.3. Correct. Yeah. You follow well. Okay. <laughs> opened Windows VM, pinged Zen Server 1. Ping request could not find Zen Server 1. Okay. So have you bridged your network? Because the Zen Server is a hypervisor. So without bridging that into the virtual network, it's not going to be accessible from within that virtual network. Because you're looking at a virtual machine on that hypervisor, but are those two networks the same? That's, that may be a, an issue. Okay. So from Zen Server 1 ping Chicote and it worked. From Chicote ping Zen Server 1 ping unknown host server, unknown Zen Server 1. Okay. So does that? Sounds like Zen Server 1 is maybe not running a Vahi daemon, which would allow it to respond by host name. So that's the answer, perhaps. Perhaps. Hard to say. Um, now, keep in mind, your Zen server is that hypervisor. And then below that are your virtual machines. You've got a couple of them running, and those VMs are seemingly communicating with one another. But um, through IP addresses, yes. Through host names, this is, this is a lot to take in, Chris. And, and for the viewers at home who are trying to follow along as well. It sounds like there's just some networking issues going on. So I'll just explain a couple of fundamentals about this type of networking scenario. And, and as I mentioned, Avahi Daemon, which is spelled A-V-A-H-I-D-A-E-M-O-N. Um, if you install that using apt or whatever package manager that you're using, if you install that, then it allows that computer to respond by its host name within your network. If your computer does not have that, and it's a Linux host, then you may have trouble resolving without knowing the IP address. So on my Linux system, for example, and I'm just going to bring up a terminal window here. Let's get a look. So I'm going to type, so I'm already root, so you need to be root on Ubuntu. You're going to type sudo su to become root. Okay? So apt install avahi daemon now my linspire says avahi daemon is already the newest version so this is something that i would do not on my client maybe on my client because i want all the computers to to be able to communicate but on the computer that i'm trying to connect to this is going to allow me to communicate with it by host name um, the other one that you may uh, want to be familiar with is called lib um, Pardon me, libnss-mdns. Let's see if we have that. apt install libnss-mdns. And again, and this shows, this really is showing us how 
Linspire kind of has everything already built in out of the box, which is kind of cool. I'm not having to install these things, but you may have to on other distros. Um, what LibNSS MDNS does differently is this allows our computer to, uh, to see other dot local computers within our LAN. So if you don't have that installed on your computer, the guest, the one that you're trying to access the Avahi Damon computers um, from, so my desktop computer, for example, or Chakotay, um, you may need to install that as well on that computer. So then you've got the ability to communicate by hostname. And if you're not getting a response to Zen Server 1, try zenserver1.local. And that tells it that it, you're looking within a local, um, you're looking for a local NS record, not something out on the web. And that may help as well. If all else fails, Chris, I want to point you in the direction of what's called a hosts file. Um, Sasha, any idea what a host file might do? It would... This is going to be a shot in the dark, I can tell by that. A host file would be the, um, the one... <laughs> it's a bald nerd. <laughs> the one file that has all of the things in it. Baldnerd.txt is a host file. Right, right. That's... <laughs> A good example of a host file. A host file. Well, a host file is, uh, it tells your computer yes. what IP address to resolve based on an NS name. So Zen Server 1 is 192.168.1.2. Right. So if I know that and I'm not able to resolve that based on my internal DNS, right. I can actually forcibly set that setting using a host file. And what's nice about that is it's something you can do in both Linux and Windows. So regardless of what operating system you're using, you can do this. Now, on my Linux computer, if I go into the slash etc and then nano hosts, you'll see that there's this file here. So what I could do, Chris, is I could say Zen Server, like that, Zen Server 1, and just before that, 192.168.1.3. And that's all that there is to it. So now I can output that file with Control-O. And then if I try to ping that, send server 1, notice that my computer here is trying to ping 192.168.1.3. Mm -hmm. But it's going to bounce. It's right. obviously going to tell us here in Studio D that there is no Zen server. There is no 192.168.1.3. Right. But did you see how quickly I was able to basically use a hacky workaround to tell my computer, hey, 192.168.1.3 or .2 in your case, I've got the wrong IP, my mistake, is Zen Server 1. So now I can right. resolve it without having to change anything, just editing my host file. I mentioned that this can be done on Windows as well. Um, so let's get a look at my Windows system here. And on Windows, I can head into my C drive and in Windows, uh, I think it's under uh, System32, ETC, no, Drivers, yes, ETC, and there's the host file. So C, or your hard drive, Windows, System32, Drivers, ETC. Open the host file. You're going to have to tell it that you need to open it with Notepad or Atom, or whatever text editor that's going to be compatible. And notice mm -hmm. the similarity here. 192.168.1.2. Mm -hmm. 
is the correct address, and you can have a tab or a couple spaces there, whatever. Zen Server 1, save that file, and now my Windows system can also find that via the host name. So that works around your issue, Chris. I hope that that points you in a direction that's at least going to get you up and running and help you out. Um, That was a great question. I think so, yeah. You know... Thanks, man. While that was happening, I thought to myself, we do all of these viewer questions, and they're super incredible. And we once did that Google Hangout, which I'm sure we'll do, that was really incredible as well. Yes, that's a monthly patron um, event. I, I think it would be great to have video questions. Like video if you, questions. If you have a question and you and you want to like do a little video clip of your question, that would be incredible. Yeah, I don't see why not. I mean, send in your question, just film it on your phone and send a selfie video to us and we'll I air it. I think that sure. would be amazing, to Absolutely. Be Absolutely. So I want to see your faces. <laughs> <laughs> Sasha, are you ready to try out your new magical teleprompter? Could we just do a little bit of a disclaimer on the fact that you want to tell the folks time. about this? Yes. This is the first time that I have had a real teleprompter and the first time that I have not been in control of the flow of the words. Which means we could be a little choppy. I'm, I'm ready to rock. Here are the stories we're covering this week in the Category 5.TV newsroom. OnePlus confirmed on Friday that thieves have siphoned tens of thousands of credit card numbers from its online store. Buses used to transport Apple employees to their offices have had their windows smashed, possibly by pellet guns. A new botnet is infecting cryptocurrency mining computers and replacing wallet addresses with its own. A remote-controlled drone in Australia saved two boys in the water on its first day of use by lifeguards. These stories are coming right up. Don't go anywhere. Whether you shop on ThinkGeek, GearBest, B&H Photo Video, eBay, or Amazon, or even if you want a free trial of Audible, you'll find the best deals and support the shows we produce by simply visiting the shopping sites you already frequent by using the links on our website. Visit Category5.tv slash partners for the full and ever-growing list and help us create more free content like this show. Thank you for shopping with our partners, and thank you for watching. This is the Category5.tv newsroom, covering the week's top tech stories with a slight Linux bias. I'm Sasha Rickman, and here are the top stories we're following this week. OnePlus confirmed on Friday that thieves have siphoned tens of thousands of credit card numbers from its online store. The Chinese phone company admitted after a week of probing that about 40,000 of its customers have had payment card details nicked while they were buying stuff from its web shop. Crooks were quick to start plundering victims' accounts using swiped information, going on shopping sprees with the stolen card data. Here's how it went down. One of the store's servers was hacked and its code modified so that between mid-November 2017 and January 11th of this year, bank card details that were typed into OnePlus.net by shoppers were copied and then sent over to miscreants. Specifically, the software was tampered with with to harvest the numbers, names, and security codes on cards before they were encrypted and sent to OnePlus payment processor. The server had since been quarantined and the malicious code removed. 
OnePlus said people who opted to use PayPal were not affected, nor were anyone who had paid with a credit card that they had saved to the site prior to November 11th, because those cards had already been encrypted by the payment provider and saved only as tokens by OnePlus. Wow. So if the credit card information has been stolen, Mm -hmm. and then those thieves have gone ahead and gone on these sprees... Do you know if and that, you would buy a boat. Do you get your money back? Is this something that's... I mean, credit cards typically have insurance. Sure, they do, yeah. And credit card providers have insurance so that they're covered from this kind of thing, just like any theft, right? Right. Um, some, some credit card uh, companies, if you do not report it as stolen you can be liable for uh, a small fee. So in, in America, for example, I think that the cap is $50. So, right. um, so if they spend more than that, you're, you're still only liable for $50. Um, and this is not legal advice. It's just a, a statement. So I have a, I have a follow-up question. So okay. Did that answer your question Somewhat. well? I, like, I have a second. Okay, this is question. like, oh, this is like a bullet point yeah, of that same question? Yeah, this is a footnote question? of that same question. Oh, yes. Would OnePlus automatically be alerting those as stolen to the actual credit card manufacturer, like the actual credit card? Would they be providers? alerting the customers or the, the, the credit, credit card, card providers? providers? Oh, right. Is it yeah. on the customer to say, "Hey, my stuff's been stolen," or is OnePlus right. liable for sending that information? I think. Well, oh, well, this is a different case okay. because these are not stolen credit cards; these are stolen credit card numbers. Right. And when your credit card number is stolen, but you still hold the physical card, you are not at all liable. Good. Yes. Okay. So Oof. that is that's that's covered. So um, you do need to report that your n- number has been stolen. In this case, yeah, you're probably right. OnePlus has most likely gone ahead and notified the credit card companies. However. If you're a OnePlus customer and you've shopped on their website, I would suggest that you still reach out to your credit card company and just let them know, hey, I'm a little concerned about this, so that they can note it and note it on the file, so that if there is any odd spending, then you know that um, that you're covered at least the point to the point where you've reported it. To be honest with you, I think OnePlus should probably just to the actual credit card companies, yeah. just and I realize that this is encrypted information really and probably not no it's it, not it's not i guess but no understand what's happened here is a man in the middle attack right. so when i go on and i enter my credit card information mm-hmm. normally it goes through an encrypted connection to the payment processor right. the oneplus never sees the credit card number the payment processor responds with the first four and last four and says yes that was a good transaction you got your money or no it didn't go through and here's why so OnePlus would never actually have the credit card number. So that's why they use tokens. So the uh, payment processor, which is the bank, they hold the credit card numbers. They know the credit card numbers. OnePlus has a token that refers back to that transaction. Right. Okay. So in this case, a man in the middle got into the code and started making it so that when that credit card number is being transmitted, before it gets transmitted to the payment processor, it first gets transmitted in an unencrypted form to the miscreant. Wow. So it's going to two places. Right. So they're not stealing credit card numbers from OnePlus's database. That wasn't possible. In this case, they're they're copying the credit card number as it's being submitted for a processed payment. Right. I mean, I check my balances and my activity on the daily. Mm. I really... 
and I have my phone linked so that if any purchase is made, it messages me. Oh, yes? Oh, cool. So, like, I know what comes out of my account. Yeah. But some people don't. Some people wait till they get their bill at the mm-hmm. end of the month. And could you imagine if a boat had been... Like, you went on OnePlus.net and you bought, like, <laughs> one thing. And then all of a sudden, you're, like... My new phone cost me $40 million? <laughs> what <has> what? <laughs> Yeah, really. All right. Buses used to transport Apple employees to their offices have had their windows smashed, possibly by pellet guns. There have been several such attacks on the morning and evening commutes to and from Apple headquarters in the Californian city of Cupertino. Local news website SFGate reported that a Google bus had also been targeted. There have been no reported injuries and there is no suggestion that the perpetrator is targeting a particular company. The attacks could be linked to previous ill feelings about how the tech sector is causing a gentrification of San Francisco and the surrounding area. In 2013, a bus carrying Google employees also had its windows smashed, following, followed by protests over how well-paid sector has pushed up house prices in the city. Mm. The current attacks all took place on Highway 280, with reports suggesting that Apple is now diverting its buses from that road, adding 30 to 45 minutes to the commute. Yikes. So now that autonomous buses and transport is happening, do you think that this will increase? Because now they're... Maybe, eh? I mean, if you think about it, so gentrification is happening, whether you want to deny it or not, and and what that means is that the the tech sector is bringing in high-paid employees. So because of that, now the demand is there for higher-grade restaurants, more expensive grocery stores, better convenience stores and all this kind of so the price of living goes way up so then the people who have already been living there whose income does not go way up are affected and so would a bus that is autonomous yet carrying employees would it not be a a a target in that it's a symbol of the it is a symbol of that of the gentrification uh, i guess of what's going on in the community but also because it's autonomous, it almost feels like, I don't know why the driver makes it feel this way, whether there's a driver or not a driver, but the autonomous nature of that bus makes it seem like it's like attacking a robot versus attacking a person. Right. You know what I mean? Maybe they just need to have a security person sitting in where the driver would. (laughs) Maybe. Maybe there is. I mean, autonomous vehicles still require somebody behind the wheel. Right. Whether... I would honestly say if I was being attacked on a commuting vehicle mm-hmm. and then the route was changed, so it was adding 30 oh. to 45 minutes. Bring your guitar. Uh, well, to be honest with you, I would just <laughs> drive myself, right? Well, like, why would I take a shuttle if A, I knew it was getting attacked yeah. and B, if to to keep from getting attacked, I was going to have to take this huge detour, so it's no longer saving anything, right? Because if you were doing it for gas savings, or if you were doing it, you know, in some sort of environmentally friendly reason, you're not any longer if you're diverting by 45 Mm -hmm. minutes. Wow. So then why would you drive yourself? Yeah. Or A lot of these people may not have vehicles even. Sure, they're highly paid, but you're there on an internship or whatever. Right. And you're there for six months. 
And you don't need a vehicle. Are you going to rent a vehicle? Company. Are you going to buy a vehicle? Maybe they've been, you know, they've come overseas to work at Google. Man. It's a tough thing. That it's is a tough. Thing. tough. And there's just got to be some sort of, I don't know, maybe video cameras on the outside of it, but then that's privacy. <laughs> I don't know. I can't solve that. Armor. Armor. Just like it's going to look like Total Recall, the first one. Like armored vehicles. <laughs> traveling oh. by way of Johnny Robot. Oh, my. <laughs> Satori, the malware family that wrangles routers, security cameras, and other internet-connected devices into potent botnets is crashing the cryptocurrency party with a new variant that secretly infects computers dedicated to the mining of digital coins. A version of Satori that appeared earlier this month exploits weaknesses in the Claymore miner. After gaining control of the coin mining software, the malware replaces the wallet address the computer owner uses to collect newly minted currency with an address controlled by the attacker. From then on, the attacker receives all the coins generated and owners are none the wiser unless they have taken the time to manually inspect their software configuration. Records show that the attacker-controlled wallet has already cashed out slightly more than one Ethereum coin that was valued at as much as $1,300 when the transaction was made. The records also showed that the attacker is actively mining more with a calculation power of about 2.1 billion hashes per second. That's roughly equivalent to the output of 85 computers each running a Radeon X480 graphics card of more than 1,100 computers running a GeForce GTX 560M. It's not clear precisely how the new variant is infecting mining computers. What is known is that Satori works primarily on the Claymore mining equipment that allows management actions on 3,333 ports with no password authentication enabled, which is the default configuration. Yeah. No password? No password. So, now... Is there a way, if you realize that this has happened to you, for you to? You have to. You have to check. See, because right. the whole idea behind a Bitcoin miner is that you create a server that goes and mines currency nonstop, and you just let it go. The right. whole idea is you do the work, little server. Right. And. I want, I want to be hands-off and just make money off of this. And it has to be that way because a lot of the folks who are really into this and making money off of it are, are very, you know, it's, it's built, it's running, it's 24-7, and it's making me money. Right. What happens when, you, when currency is mined, when cryptocurrency is mined, is that it goes into a digital wallet, if you will. Okay? Mm-hmm. That's the term that we use. And what is happening quite frankly, is that this wallet is being replaced with the wallet of the thief. So now, as the coin is being mined, it's going into their wallet, and your wallet is gone. Right. So you can look at your wallet, and you'd say, huh, my miner has been running for two weeks, and I haven't made even a, a, a nanoscopic amount of money. How's that possible? And then you might look and say, okay, from this, you know, the hash that is my wallet, would you notice that, wait a minute, that's not my wallet. Right. That's would someone else's wallet. Would the average person notice that? Would the average person run a miner? 
Not, not likely. Not likely. That's so, true. Uh, so somebody who runs a miner would probably know the first few digits of their of their wallet hash for sure. I mean, you'd recognize it like your credit card. You may not memorize your credit card number, but, but you, you know, know you know the last four digits. I'm you sure. You probably know what's not your credit card number. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So. <laughs> Ah. But boy, that's, so this has created a botnet of all these stolen computer, like hijacked computers that are dist- right. that are putting their money into this guy, this person's wallet. Yeah, I, at a I, crazy rate. So I don't know a lot about all the different types of cryptocurrency. Um, I thought there was only one. And it turns out, <laughs> oh, the naivete! It turns out that there are more than one. There is a Whopper coin. Oh, yeah. I thought that there were two because I remember the Whopper coin story. Yes. All right. (laughs) Wow. So, yeah. Check your wallet. Double check that your Whopper coin is going into the correct Whopper Whopper savings account. (laughs) And also password everything. Don't stick with the default configuration. Yes. Oh, my goodness. No. Even I know that. (laughs) All right. We've reported in the past about neat ways that drones can be used, like a combination defibrillator and first aid kit that can fly into disaster areas much more quickly than emergency responders. But now, put to the test in Australia, Little Ripper, the lifeguard drone, saved not one but two young boys on its first day of service. Little Ripper is a remote-controlled multi-copter that carries a flotation device. On its first day of service off the coast of Lennox Head in Australia, the drone was used to drop a flotation device for two boys in distress. Traditionally, lifeguards would have had a great deal of trouble reaching the boys who were struggling in the waves far out from shore. It's estimated that it would have taken lifeguards at least six minutes to reach them. But the drone, controlled by an onshore lifeguard, reached them in only 70 seconds. The lifeguard launched the drone, spotted the boys, flew it over to them, and remotely dropped the flotation device. The boys were able to grab it and swim to shore. The drone is manufactured by a company called Little Ripper Lifesaver, founded by Kevin Weldon after he witnessed a drone canvassing the streets of New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina and realized its life-saving potential. The marine pod that was dropped in this case contained a water-triggered flotation device, which is repackable and reusable. The company is now testing a saltwater-activated electromagnetic shark-repellent device with plans to include it in its future kit. Wow. What a great story. That is what cool. What a tech win. Awesome. Dude. Win for the drones. Yes. And to be honest. That, finally, with you, a drone that's a good guy. And to be honest with you, this, this shark repellent one. That's neat. That's going to actually save the lives of sharks and people. Because now they'll be able to drop the shark deterrent in. And then they will be lowering the number of shark attacks. And perhaps then changing our views on sharks, which are also awesome beasts, even though they like to eat people. Well, this got really dark really quick. Yeah. Well, they don't like to eat people, actually. <laughs> they just like to bite them. Anyway, really good job. So, big thanks to Roy W. Nash and our community of viewers for submitting stories to us this week. Thanks for watching the Category 5.TV newsroom. Don't forget to like and subscribe for all your tech news with a slight Linux bias. And for more free content, be sure to check out our website. From the Category 5.TV newsroom, I'm Sasha Rickman. Well, this is Category 5 Technology TV. This has been episode number 540.
And it's been a great one. The, the hour just goes by like that. It takes, yeah, no time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thanks to our chat room for participating tonight. Thank you to our patrons who make this show possible. If you'd like to become a patron or at least learn what that means, head on over to patreon.com slash category five. What's cool about this show is we are volunteers and we do this for free. We give you the show absolutely free. Uh, but there are some rather extensive expenses which are covered by things like advertisers and our patrons who contribute to the show um, once a month just a small amount once a month to say thanks and uh, it helps keep us strong and to be honest with you the payback for it is incredible because I receive email vlogs and updates and it's fun it's fun to be a patron so you know and, and you get to see some behind the scenes stuff too it's cool which is we like to we like to do that for you. And our, I mentioned we mentioned a little bit earlier patron Google Plus ha- or Google Hangouts um, that happens once a month. We've had one already, and you can actually participate in that and be a part of the communication. Be be actually in the video uh, if you're a patron uh, at that level. So yeah. kind of cool stuff. Well, thank you everybody for joining us this week, Sasha. Great job. That was fun. That was. How fun. was the new teleprompter? It's intimidating, yeah? but it's really actually great. It it's- was neat that you were like making eye contact with us. Oh, yeah. You right? Can, that's right. That part felt great. And I had both of my hands, which right. later on, as I get more comfortable, I will use. Right. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. Right now, I was clasping them together. Traditionally, the way that we've done it is a screen above the camera. And so Sasha has to look a little bit above the camera in order to read, which is kind of, you know, technology grows and gets better around here. Okay, so So, I realize that this has been a whole hour, so this is going to be a hilarious So you're like, how does it work? Where is the camera? Where's the camera? (laughs) You can't see, she can't can't see the camera. That's hilarious. So is it through the teleprompter itself? Yes. Oh. The teleprompter is in front of the lens, so you at home don't see it. But That's bananas. So Isn't that neat? That's amazing. So we're actually looking at the teleprompter as we're looking at you uh, through the camera. So nice. neat stuff. Do I have like one second to just update everybody on like my just the last week what I did? It, it's please hilarious. do, yeah. I read the entire book, Ready Player One. The mo- I heard of the movie. The movie's coming have- out in March. So Dave borrowed the book from a friend for him to read, and I read the whole thing instead. It is an incredible book. The movie is coming out, so you could skip reading the book and watch the movie, which I'm sure is also going to be awesome. But this is a book that, if you know me, you'll understand how much I love this concept. It's about a, like, inclusive, like a virtual reality separate world. So... It's a dystopian world. Oh, okay, yeah. Right? And you log in with a virtual reality headset, and you have haptic feedback gloves, and you live your life. Like, you can go to school and everything in this other world called the Oasis. Right. And so it's a story in the Oasis and somewhat outside of it as well. Anyway. Kind of matrixy. It's super, like, Matrix meets Black Mirror meets, like, tacky awesomeness. Mm. Meets games. So it was a fun book? Super good book. Are you going to go see the movie? Yes. All right. You're going to so, report back which is better, the book or the movie? I can already tell you the book is better because yeah. I imagine things very vividly, as you can yeah. imagine. Cool. So, yeah, there's no way they could do enough CGI to make. I've been reading, um, what's it called? I don't even know. 
I don't even know. Um, What's it's it sci-fi, but it's like a teen sci-fi. But it's but I thought I would. I thought I would try it. Um, the uh, why can't I remember? Because I wasn't thinking, hey, I'm going to talk about the books that I've been reading. Tonight. I read a whole book. I'm not kidding you. I read. I started with Cassie. It. What's the one with Cassie? Oh, Cassie and the aliens coming to Earth. Somebody. What's the one with Cassie and the aliens would, coming to I Earth and attack? Anyways, would, it's it's been pretty neat. But I don't know that I will enjoy the movie because it's very teen romance. Although, but as a book, you can you can see past that. Right. I I watched The Hunger Games. I read yeah. the books and and watched the movie, and I like both of those. And they're a teen level. Did you see any of those or no? Read it's good. Is it? Yeah. yeah. Hmm. So cool. What go. books do you enjoy? Do you have any clue what book it is that I am reading? <laughs> <laughs> because I obviously don't look. I have read 450 pages of it, but I only read the cover once. So that's good. That's good. Yeah. This reminds me of that time. I was like, "Remember that game I played that one time? Did everybody remember? We never. Yeah, I know. We never, we never did figure, figure it out. It out. It we exists, never did figure it out. But I cannot find it. Wow, that's gonna bug me until I get home and look at the cover. But somebody's gonna mention it in the chat room. Thank you. So have a wonderful week, everybody. And I'm looking forward to seeing you again next week. So see ya.